Is LSU a top 10 college football program in the country? A national pundit weighs in. I'll weigh in. All of that plus so much more on today's edition of Locked on LSU. You are Locked on LSU, your daily podcast on the LSU Tigers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, thank you for making Locked on LSU your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, we are on YouTube as well. So check us there, Locked on LSU, and hit that subscribe button so you won't miss a single second of your Locked on LSU content. My name is Caroline Fenton, and I am your host, as I am every day. I graduated from LSU. I've been covering LSU sports since 2016, and I'm now a Sports Talk Radio host in Nashville, Tennessee. Before we get into the good stuff, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. So I was perusing around the athletic today. I always like to see, you know, even when college football is not in season, I like to see what, you know, the national talking heads are talking about. And I see an article from Ari Wasserman, who covers college football for the athletic. He does great work along with you know so many other writers at the athletic, not just in college football, but in general. Uh, but he had a recruiting mailbag. So I, you know, dove in, wanted to see what he was talking about, especially considering National Signing Day is on Wednesday, and we'll have a full breakdown of National Signing Day with a preview and a breakdown and a recap on tomorrow's podcast. But he, there was one question asked, and it said, in honor of the 10-year anniversary of the college football playoff starting this season, which is wild to think that it's already been 10 years. I think it just started yesterday and now it's like, oh, surprise, now they're moving to 12 teams. So just whenever I'm like, you know, getting used to it, they just go ahead and change things. But that's the world of college football that we live in nowadays. Um, So it says in honor of the 10-year anniversary of the college football playoff, what do you think are the top 10 programs in the country? And that's based off of the cumulative body of work in the college football playoff era. So I look at the the definition of program, but I define it because I think a lot of times it gets misconstrued as team. Like if you say, oh, what's a better program? Um, I'm trying to think in my head right now, you know, Georgia or Alabama. That's not that's not a good example. I don't know. But basically, a lot of people get program and team mixed up, whereas I view it as team is a singular thing. Your, how good your team is, how good or bad your team is, is totally dependent on that one year. I mean, if you would have asked me what's a better program, LSU or Tennessee, it's obviously LSU. But if you interpret that as team, this year you could say it was Tennessee. That was a good example. Okay, there we go. Difficult. Um, so I view it as your cumulative body of work, your the number of championships you have, how relevant you are in the college football space you're in and you're out, your brand, how well your brand is identified, how well your brand is respected. I view LSU as one of the top programs in the country. I would say Alabama in terms of recognition, in terms of brand, in terms of championships. Even though Texas hasn't won a championship in almost 20 years, I would still say Texas was one of the top programs in the country because of brand recognition, because of the name, the logo carries a lot of weight. But this was focusing 
just on the top programs in the college football playoff era. So take out Miami, which could probably be considered a top program in the country just because of what it did in those U teams in the 80s and 90s, because Miami hasn't done anything in the college football playoff era. So this is based on the cumulative body of work since 2013. Number one, Alabama. I don't think that's any surprise that in the last 10 years, Alabama is probably the most dominant program in college football. They've won three national titles in the last 10 years. They've made the playoff all but two times in the last 10 years of existence. And I guess I would use nine years, really, because we haven't experienced that 10th year yet. So and, and they've been to the college football playoff seven out of nine times, and they've won it three times. In six of those seven times, Alabama played for a national championship. I don't think it's any any argument I know how much we hate Alabama, but it's true. They're the top program in the country over the last 10 seasons. Georgia, number two. They've won the last two. They're the only program to win back-to-back national championships in the college football playoff era. And let's not forget, they went in 2017. I think we forget about that a lot. So they've been to three and they've won two. Pretty impressive. Clemson is in there as well. Even though if we're going to talk about recency bias, Clemson doesn't seem like it would be the third best program in America. Think about the last nine years. Go back to 2013. Clemson has been in the conversation. They have won two titles. They've been even more. Clemson absolutely belongs there. Ohio State four. I have a little bit of a gripe with number five with Oklahoma because I know that they have been to the college football playoff four times in the last eight years, but Oklahoma has never been able to get to the big dance. Oklahoma, to me, is always that team that just barely squeaks in because they don't play in a very competitive conference and because, you know, they, they'll just squeak in in that number four spot because some other SEC team or some other Big Ten team beats another Big Ten team or beats another SEC team and pushes that team out. Oklahoma, to me, just seems like they're always the bridesmaid, never the bride. They are sitting in that number five spot. I guess that's fair since they've been four out of the last nine years. But I have a little bit of a gripe with that considering that they've never, you know, never gone beyond that. But at number six is that L- is LSU. Um, Ari Wasserman explains LSU may be one of the easiest places in the country to recruit a top five class. But ironically enough, it was an overlooked in-state prospect in Justin Jefferson and a special transfer quarterback in Joe Burrow who helped the Tigers win their lone national title of the CFP era. Perhaps LSU should be higher on this list given given most consider the 2019 Tigers one of the greatest college football teams of all time. Not a homer take. If you don't think that, you're wrong. It does seem remarkable that LSU, this is Ari Wasserman's words, it does seem remarkable that LSU made the CFP only once since 2014, but that is what happens when you play the SEC during Alabama's golden years and Georgia's rise to the top. I take two things away from this. The positive thing that I take away from this is LSU is a top 10 program in the country. Per Ari Wasserman, but I think that's kind of a consensus, is that in the last 10 years, LSU is one of the top 10 most relevant, top 10 most recognized, top 10 most respected, and top 10 most winningest programs in college football. And yes, LSU has had their down years in the last 10 years. And yes, LSU has recycled coaches. But even throughout the down years and even when there's a transition of power at the coaching position, LSU is always relevant. So that's the good thing. LSU is a top 10 program in the country per Ari Wasserman and also per me. I think the bad thing about this is what it says is 
it does seem remarkable that LSU has made the CFP only once since 2014. And it also says LSU might be one of the easiest places in the country to recruit a top five class. Both of those things are true. But the problem with that is those two things shouldn't go together. So while it is encouraging to see somebody else, a national pundit, a very widely and well-respected college football writer, acknowledge LSU as one of as the sixth best college football program over the last nine, ten years, LSU has underachieved in that period of time. In the college football era, LSU has underachieved. You're not going to take 2019 out because you can't. Because 2019 absolutely belongs in the history books of college football. But if you do take 2019 out, then based off of this criteria, LSU probably wouldn't be a top 10 college football program in the college football playoff era. And for a state and a school that is probably the easiest to find top five talent and to land top five talent, you need to be back in the dance more. You need to be back in the conversation more. I understand, and this is what Ari Wasserman points out, you got to get through Alabama every single year, and most likely Georgia, too, through the SEC championship to get to the big dance. And that's really hard. And there's a reason why Alabama and Georgia are the one and two most relevant and you know most overachieving college football programs in the college football playoff era, per Ari Wasserman. But the expectation at LSU is that you still beat those teams that you're competitive with those teams. We consider those teams rivals or really rather Alabama a rival in a rivalry. The definition is it's competitive. It's win loss, win loss, super fun, like crazy nail biter game every single year. And to be honest, that hasn't been the case enough. It hasn't been the case as frequently as it should be. So I look at that and I say, good for LSU because I think they are top 10 te- a top 10 program in the country but they've got to be in the conversation more they've underachieved over the last 10 years so how do they get back there there's another team listed on this list of Ari Wasserman's top 10 programs in college football over the last 10 years that I think is the answer and I want to get into that coming up next But before we do that, I want to tell you about FanDuel. So this year, the only app that you're going to need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So we are really excited about our brand new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sportsbook in America. It's FanDuel. And and if you are new to FanDuel, that's even better because you're going to get great perks. (coughs) Excuse me. They have great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. So download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. So for the Super Bowl this year, I got to rock with the Eagles. The Eagles have been such a good team all season long, and maybe they won't be able to keep up with Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to take the Eagles on the money line, and I'm going to take Patrick Mahomes anytime rushing touchdown score. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. 
So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Well, thank you for making Locked On LSU your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, Locked On is at the Senior Bowl this week. Get inside analysis from the hosts that covered the NFL's next generation in college and find out which NFL draft boards these players will be climbing all in one location. And of course... That's on the Locked On Network, your team every day. Subscribe to Locked On NFL Draft for nightly live shows from the Senior Bowl on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern. I will be covering the Senior Bowl this week. We've got so much on our plate. The women's team absolutely crushing it. We've got National Signing Day tomorrow, so we will get to our Senior Bowl coverage at the end of the week. But looking at Ari Wasserman's ranking of the top 10 programs in the country over the last 10 years in the college football playoff era, I look at LSU and they're at number six, and Ari Wasserman points out a very harsh, realistic truth, that LSU has only been in the college football playoff once over the last nine, ten years, whatever whatever parameter you want to use. That's just not good enough for a program whose threshold is excellence, whose expectation is to be competing for championships year in and year out. And we all know some of the troubles that have been plaguing this program over the last 10 years since the college football playoff was born. But still, that's the expectation nonetheless. So that begs the question, how are you going to change that? How are you going to get back on track? How are you going to get to that point of meeting expectations, of continuously being in the dance, of continuously being competitive with the Alabamas and the Georgias of the SEC, even though it's a gauntlet, even though it's tough to get past. That's the expectation that you do, and you won't every year. Heck, Alabama doesn't even every year, but at least be in the conversation. So is this team in place to get there? I'll continue on with our list. LSU is at six, and to recap, Alabama 1, Georgia 2, Clemson 3, Ohio State 4, Oklahoma 5, LSU 6. And this is all Ari Wasserman's opinion. This is not Bible. This is not a scientific, you know, calculation. This is simply just his opinion. But I feel like, you know, I can concur. Number 8, Michigan. Number 9, excuse me, number 7, Michigan. Number 8, Notre Dame. And that stuck out to me. Because he writes, Notre Dame has made the playoff twice despite having a harder path to receive a bid. He cites that Notre Dame has a harder path to receive a bid because Notre Dame basically has to go undefeated every single year in order to get into the college football playoff. That Notre Dame has an inherent disadvantage for not playing in a conference championship game. And I can see both sides of that. I really can. You could look at it and say, well, 
Notre Dame has an advantage not playing in a, co- in a conference championship game where, you know, they're not going to risk losing that conference championship game where they get that extra week of rest going into the college football playoff. But you can also argue that gives you another opportunity to prove yourself. I mean, think about this year. If LSU would have beaten Texas A&M, which still d- disgusts me that they did not, and then went on to beat Georgia in the SEC championship, there was a legitimate chance that LSU could have gotten in the college football playoff. I think it would have been more likely than not that LSU would have gotten in the college football playoff. So that gave them the opportunity. If LSU won out in the season and didn't have the opportunity to beat Georgia in the SEC championship, the college football playoff wouldn't have even been a remote possibility. So I see both sides with that. I'll also add on top of that how difficult it is to recruit to Notre Dame. And that's for so many reasons. One, it's a private school. It's hard to get into. It's a really good school. Your your academics and your grades have to be very good to go to, to Notre Dame. Of course, we're not naive. You know, athletes have a little bit of a more wiggle room than we uh, NARPs out there. Um, but still, it's it's a challenging school academically. It's a challenging school financially. And of course, you know, players get scholarships there are ways to get players in the door but it's still some more red tape that those players have to get past in order to make their way to Notre Dame and also Notre Dame it's kind of sucks the weather kind of sucks like I was there not too long ago and it was freezing and it was gray and it was snowy it's in the middle of nowhere Indiana it's not a, a great attractive place to recruit players to you know, one of the reasons why I was so intrigued by LSU when I was visiting in high school is because it was 75 degrees in January and there are palm trees everywhere. So there are inherent disadvantages that Notre Dame faces in recruiting. So that also makes it even more difficult. Yet they're still in the top 10. Even though it's that difficult for Notre Dame to recruit and get really good talent, keep really good talent, and also they're at an inherent disadvantage, however way you want to look at it, whether it's a disadvantage or advantage, some years it is a disadvantage for Notre Dame to get in, considering that they don't play a conference championship. Yet, Ari Wasserman still lists Notre Dame as one of the top 10 best programs in the college football playoff era. And I agree. You can't ignore the fact that they have been in – in the dance twice, and in the conversation pretty consistently. So considering all the challenges that Notre Dame faces, and they're still in the top 10 with teams like Alabama and Georgia and LSU and Michigan schools that recruit themselves, well, that's a testament to Brian Kelly. That absolutely is a testament to what Brian Kelly built at Notre Dame. And he didn't build it from the ground up, but he did maintain it. He was the coach that got them in the college football playoff twice. And you can make the same argument about Notre Dame that I did with Oklahoma, about how they never gotten or won the big dance. But still, if you combine the success that Brian Kelly had at Notre Dame, considering its obvious inherent recruiting disadvantages, with the obvious recruiting advantages that LSU has, we've got a recipe for success there. So as frustrating as it is to read on paper and to know, to understand that LSU should have been in the conversation more than they have, considering the talent that has come through that locker room. Brian Kelly was able to do it with much less. Imagine what he can do with much more. Imagine how many times he can get LSU in the conversation when he is working with a conference championship 
when he is working with a program that recruits itself, when he is working with a school, a team, a program that everyone wants to go to. And that's what gives me hope. That's what gives me encouragement about where LSU is right now. Only once since 2013 has LSU been in the college football playoff versus Brian Kelly's body of work already, both at Notre Dame and at LSU. But coming up next, National Signing Day is on Wednesday. Who should we keep our eye on? We'll get into that coming up next. Well, it is National Signing Day on Wednesday. There's one name that I wanted to mention because a whole lot of the um, of, of LSU's targets did already commit in the early signing period. But there are still some guys out there who, who have LSU on their radars and who LSU has on its radar. And one that I want to highlight that I'll at least be looking for tomorrow is Jamel Howard. Jamel Howard is not a name that I've mentioned, but Jamel Howard is a name um, that I think is is one of the top names that's kind of been recycled through, um, you know, college football discussions over the last few weeks, especially considering he is one who did not decide to sign in the early signing period. Um, he's a three-star defensive tackle out of Chicago. He's, listen to this, 6'3", 320 pounds. The kid is a freaking monster. He's the 72nd ranked defensive lineman per 24-7 sports in the country. Um, so, I mean, a, a solid player. He's not your five-star. Got a whole lot of love. Got a whole lot of attention. Knew where he was going to go. Was going to have his commitment, you know, broadcasted across ESPN. But a solid guy with a lot of size and who has already faced solid competition in high school. Now, he is considering LSU. He took his official visit to LSU in January. Also, it's taken official visits to Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, Miami, along with LSU. Now, he had already committed to Wisconsin verbally. And then there was the changing of the guards at Wisconsin. Of course, Luke Fickle got hired at Wisconsin, and he decommitted. He reopened his recruitment. He continued to take some official visits, LSU, of course, being one of them. And then he went back to Wisconsin and... um, Re- and took another official visit to Wisconsin as well. Now, the um, national recruiting pundits have him going to Michigan. That was his last visit that he took was at, was to Michigan. And if I've learned anything from John Garcia Jr. throughout our talks um, throughout the recruiting period, it's that you have such a wonderful advantage being the last school that you visit. It's fresh on your mind. Um, you know, it's all new. You don't have the opportunity to go somewhere else and second guess yourself. So that gives you a really great advantage. So while a lot of the recruiting pundits have him leaning toward Michigan, there really isn't one school that has emerged as a front runner. If there is, it's not LSU, but LSU is absolutely one of the five schools in conversation. I talk a lot about what players can contribute to LSU right now in 2023. I don't necessarily see Jamel Howard being one of those players. Simply just looking at the defensive line room and how much experience is in there, it seems like Jamel Howard could be one of those guys that is going to have, you know, compete in spring and summer practices if he does um, come early. I doubt he would. So summer practices. Um, He can be in the rotation. He can get some backup reps. 
but he's really going to be buried on the depth chart behind Makai Wingo, of course, against behind Mason Smith, who's coming back this year. You look at Paris Shan, Jalen Lee, Jordan Jefferson, all guys that are going to be transferring in to LSU who have college football experience, who have two or three years of experience under their belts and of size under their belts. Not that size is anything that Jamel Howard is lacking in considering he's 6'3", 320 pounds. Um, So I wouldn't see him being the kind of guy that could contribute in 2023. And that is based off of just my opinion, just off of my speculation of that defensive line room and how LSU is in, in a pretty good position. But the advantage of bringing him in would be he gets a year to develop. Maybe so. Maybe he earns a starting spot in training camp. I don't know. But if not, he would be a developmental piece that could come in and contribute in the following years. He would be a guy that could come in and take those backup reps and be able to, you know, kind of contribute to the team in a smaller capacity year one and only have that responsibility grow in year two. Also wanted to mention really quickly the women's basketball game last night. On uh, Monday night, that was one of the coolest games that I have ever witnessed. Now, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the PMAC, but the PMAC was absolutely popping. And Kim Mulkey talked about it after the game. This was Kim Mulkey. Well, first of all, compliment the fans. Goodness gracious. I don't think I saw an empty seat. Now, I didn't look long, but when I walked out, I was like, ooh, these people are standing. Somebody get up and give that older woman a seat. Uh, It was everything that young people need to experience in college. And uh, thank you to all the people who made that happen. 15,157 was the final attendance total last night in the PMAC. It's the largest crowd in the history of the PMAC since it's been renovated in 2005. So in about 20 years, no event has had more people than a women's basketball game did last night. I remember I was at the Buddy Heald, Ben Simmons, Oklahoma, LSU matchup in 2016. That was 13,882. Last year, one of the biggest gymnastics meets of the, of the season, especially in the SEC, number eight LSU against number six Auburn, 13,569. 15,000 people, more than 15,000 people came out to a women's basketball game last night to watch LSU defeat Tennessee. They ultimately beat Tennessee 76 to 68, a team that was unbeaten in the SEC and a team that absolutely was battle tested. I mean, Tennessee has lost eight games, now seven going into that game. Those losses are to UConn, the number five team in the country, to Ohio State, the number 10 team in the country, Indiana, number four, Gonzaga, number 17, Virginia Tech, 13, Stanford, number two team in the country. Tennessee has been through a gauntlet. Some of their their losses, which their record might not look great, but some of their losses are from the top teams in the country. And LSU was able to get a win last night, 76-68. They extend their win streak. They're undefeated. Angel Reese extends her double-double streak. But I think the biggest thing, and that makes me so proud to be an LSU fan, to be an LSU alumni, is that this fan base will support this team, this school, this athletic department, no matter what. It doesn't matter what it is. 
It doesn't matter if it's football. It doesn't matter if it's baseball. It doesn't matter if it's beach volleyball. I've been to those those matches. Those are fun. It doesn't matter if it's women's basketball. They'll pack it out, and they'll set records doing it. This women's team is so freaking fun to watch, and LSU is better when its women's basketball team is good, when people care about women's basketball. I mean, I look back to some of the years where Nikki Fargus was at the helm. And this is no disrespect to Nikki Fargus as a person, but it just didn't draw the same excitement that Kim Mulkey is now. I mean, compare compare Kim Mulkey's tenure. So she's in year two at LSU, right? So she just broke the PMAC attendance record. And Nikki Fargus's second year, she was averaging about 3,800 people per game. Compare that to 15,000 people last night. Now, I know that hasn't been the case all season long. I know there have probably been plenty of open seats during games earlier in the season. But the fact that LSU is so excited about women's basketball and that this team is absolutely crushing it, it's really, really empowering and encouraging to see as an LSU fan, as a supporter of women's sports, and as a supporter of this team that is just absolutely kicking butt. So they've got a really tough one coming up, taking on South Carolina, taking on Don Staley, the number one team in the country. It's only going to get harder. But that if that if it, if the environment was like that for Tennessee, I can only imagine what it's going to be like for a one three matchup. But that's going to do it for me today. Thank you for making Locked on LSU your first listen every day. For your second lesson, check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. Experts Isaac Shaden and Andy Patton bring you everything that you need to know on and off the court. Plus, you can hear from big name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.